Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Joshua has prayed for us. I think we're ready just to, just to jump in. <clears throat> well, in our, in our study of Hebrews, we have arrived at a very famous chapter, a very well-known chapter. Some have called this the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning, we're going to start into this great chapter. Now, uh, full disclosure, we won't get far. I, I know I told you we were going to go slowly through Hebrews 11. Uh, I wanted Joni to read through verse 6, but in, in reality, we're probably only going to get through verse 1 this morning, okay? Um, and I promise we won't go the whole way through this chapter this slowly, but I think this morning it'll be helpful to just cover chapter uh, verse 1, excuse me, and then next week we will look at Abel, Enoch, and Noah and the faith uh, that they had. But Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with three words. It starts with these three words. It says, now faith is. Now faith is. Now faith is what? And what does it look like? And how does it work out? And those are all things we're going to talk through this next month or two. But to start, we have to first talk about what faith is not. I think that's helpful, a helpful place to start. What faith is not. So first, let's clarify with this. True faith, true faith the way the Bible describes faith, true faith that is given to us from God is not a blind leap in the dark. It's, it's not a faith that is contrary to knowledge. It's not a faith that is opposed to evidence or facts or proof or anything like that. True faith is not that. It is not just a blind leap in the dark. True faith is also not just another way to be optimistic, right? Sometimes we can tell one another that, like, hey, just have faith. And what someone means is just, hey, just, just think positively. Let's be optimistic. Now, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. There's nothing wrong with being optimistic. But faith is so much more than that. It's not just simply a optimism. It's not just simply a, I'm just going to think and force myself to think positively about things. It's not that. It's more than that. Faith is also not simply a feeling, all right? So it's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not just optimism, and it's not just a feeling. In fact, we'll see that true biblical faith actually informs our feelings. But let's not simply think that faith is just a feeling. Let's not let faith be directed by feelings. No, true faith will actually inform our feelings. And in this great chapter of Hebrews 11, this is not even an exhaustive definition of faith. It, it's, it's not. We, we would have to go to multiple other places in the Bible to get an exhaustive definition of faith. But instead, this is a description of what faith does and how it works. What faith does and how it works. Now, before we jump in, let's also not forget the immediate context of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, in the overall book of Hebrews, our author has had just really just given the original recipients a strong warning, followed by a word of encouragement. Many of this original group of believers, they had, they had experienced past hardships, they had future persecutions coming their way, and they were being tempted to go back to Judaism, to go back to the temple, to go back to making sacrifices. Some were tempted to go back to paganism, to go back to moralism, to go back to all these things that they had been in before Christ. 
And our author has been trying to tell them and show them all throughout this book that like, no, 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 don't go back. Jesus is better. He is better. He's, he's better. And, and everything you've learned throughout God's word, throughout the prophets and the law, all this has been pointing to Christ. But our author knows that they have much need of endurance for the days ahead. Look back, just to, just to get us in the right context, look back at Hebrews 10, verse 36. Leading up to Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 10, 36, he says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and then he goes into a quote from Isaiah and Habakkuk, which springboards us into chapter 11. He says, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Here's then some encouragement, though, in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And now, this is where Hebrews 11 enters in. And so Hebrews 11, it's not an exhaustive teaching on faith, but our author here is emphasizing what does a faith that perseveres do? Right? What, what does a faith that perseveres look like? How does it work? What does it look like in real life? In the life of real people that have multiple failings and failures, and yet they have this persevering faith as well. And that's what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 11. What does a persevering faith do? How does it work? What does it look like in real messy lives? Well, what we need to first understand, even before we get to Hebrews 11, verse 1, and if you're, if you're taking notes, this can maybe be point one for you, okay? If you like to stay organized. I don't like to stay organized, but just for your sake, if you want to write a number one and a point, all right, this is it, all right? True biblical faith and a faith that perseveres is a faith that is according to knowledge. It's a faith that is according to knowledge. Again, it's not a blind leap in the dark. Uh, have you guys ever done those, those trust falls? Uh, anyone ever done a trust fall before? Like in, those, in a group building exercise, something like that. You know, you have someone, they close their eyes, they cross their arms, and then a group of people that, is, that are behind them, they're ready to catch them, right? And so that you're just supposed to fall. You're just supposed to have faith. Just trust that they're going to catch you. But even in a trust fall, there is some degree of knowledge and information going on in that, right? Because you know, even before you close your eyes or whatnot, that the people are behind you, right? There's a knowledge that you have to fall backwards in order to be caught by them. And so uh, if you really are looking to waste, you know, precious minutes of your life, there are plenty of trust fall fail videos out there. Uh, where people have a blind faith, a faith that is not according to knowledge, and they'll be standing there, arms crossed, a group of people behind them, and they just fall forward <laughs> and face plant on the ground. Now that is a blind faith. That is a faith not according to knowledge, right? Biblical faith is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is according to knowledge. Paul, when he writes to the Romans in Romans 10, Verse 14, we'll have this up on the screen. He writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is a faith that is according to knowledge, according to hearing the words of Christ and according to hearing the words about Christ, which is the whole scripture, the whole Bible, right, are all about Christ. And therefore, if we want people of faith to, to, uh, to have a faith that really perseveres, then we must teach the people of Franklin and beyond the words of Christ and the words about Christ. We must teach the people of Franklin the whole counsel, the entire counsel of God's word. And we must commit ourselves to establishing a body of believers here that will teach God's word for generations to come, even after we have long gone home to be with the Lord. We can't just tell people to just, hey, go try to please God, right? That's, that's kind of what religion and what maybe us churchy folks can try to do. Just say, hey, let's just go try to please God. However, what we'll see in Hebrews 11 verse 6 is that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so pure religion, you know, just, just simply religion or, or do-goodism do or moralism or just going to church, things like that. We can't just tell people, hey, just go try to please the Lord. Well, in order to please the Lord, they have to have faith. It has to be a true faith, a biblical faith, a faith that comes from hearing the word of God. And therefore, we must commit ourselves to teaching the word of God so that people would have a faith according to knowledge. But you see, faith and true faith is more than just an intellectual knowledge of God. It's more than just knowing about God. And so when I'm talking about a faith according to knowledge, I'm speaking more than just an intellectual assent, things, facts that you know about God. What we read in James chapter 2, verse 19, God's word says, you believe that God is one, you do, do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. To merely have an intellectual knowledge about God is not what a real persevering faith looks like. Even the enemy knows about God. Even the enemy believes God exists. But when the Bible talks about knowing, yes, there, there is an intellectual component to it. There is a mind, of, you know, applying your mind to the knowing about God. But there's also an intimacy when God's word talks about knowing God, Right? When Adam knew Eve, they had a son, right? There's that intimacy there. True persevering faith includes a knowing God in an intimate way where you love him and you trust him. It has to be more than just our mind. It's our, it's our heart. It's our strength. It's a loving him, a trusting him, a knowing him in that kind of way. And so my question's, for you, as we are still kind of getting started this morning, is, is, is your faith, is your faith in God according to knowledge? Or do you have a blind faith? Maybe you have a faith in faith. Kind of the popular thing now is, is to, to be a spiritual person. Lots of people will claim that. They'll say, I'm a person of faith. Well, the question is, who is your faith in? What is your faith in? And do you, do you know him? 
Not just on a mindset level, but on a heart level. Do you love him? Do you trust him? Is your faith according to knowledge? Or do you simply just know about God, but you don't actually know him and enjoy him and love him and trust him? Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And so faith is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is according to knowledge. And not just an intellectual knowledge, but an intimate, heartfelt knowledge of loving and trusting that kind of knowledge. Our faith is not a blind faith. But let's also address one of the other things we said faith was not. Is faith just positive thinking? Right? Is it just being optimistic about life? I, and I'm, I'm an optimistic person, so I, I kind of like being optimistic about things, but is that what faith is? I mean, when we are encouraged to live by faith, is that the same, is that the same as just saying, hey, be positive? Well, now we're ready for God's word in Hebrews 11 to see what it has to say about faith, to see how it describes it, to see how it says faith gets worked out, a faith that perseveres. Here we go, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Really popular verse. I've heard this quoted and repeated multiple times. It's sort of even poetic. I mean, I've heard people use this when talking about faith, but if I'll be honest, I've never quite fully really just gotten my mind around what that's saying, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we're going to go slow through it, uh, if not for your sake, for mine, okay? Uh, It first says, now faith is the assurance. Now, faith is the assurance. That word assurance is used a couple other times in the book of Hebrews and in a couple of different ways, which has caused some differing opinions in how the English translations translate this word from the original Greek to to our English language. But I think that the two ways in that it is used, they are actually not contradictory to one another. They are actually complementary. And so it would benefit us to really understand what this word means. The word that is translated in the ESV, assurance, it's a word that literally means that which stands under. That which stands under, or it means foundation. And it's a word that appears once in Hebrews 1, verse 3. And so we'll have, we'll have the two uh, other verses in Hebrews where it appears. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, it appears, and it is translated objectively. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, and I'll explain what that means, all right? Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That word nature, or His being, or His substance, that's the same word that we're seeing here in Hebrews 11, all right? That word nature. So that's where it's translated objectively. It's the exact imprint of His substance, His being, His nature, But we also see that same word used subjectively translated in chapter 3, verse 14, when he writes, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence. Confidence is the word there. All right? And so I I know I'm getting technical here. I promise we won't be technical the whole sermon, okay? Uh, But the, so, so KJV translates Hebrews 11, verse 1, saying, Now faith is the substance. 
because that translation is leaning more towards the objective sense of the word as demonstrated in Hebrews 1 verse 3. And the ESV translators translate it, now faith is the assurance, as that translation is leaning towards the Hebrews 3 verse 14 subjective sense of the word. Okay? Now stay with me, all right? Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this, I think gives a really helpful way to think through this, and we'll have his quote up on the screen. I think this helps bring it all together. Uh, He writes, Actually, the objective and the subjective tenses of the word are not at odds because genuine faith does bring an assurance, right? That subjective assurance, confidence feeling of what we hope for that is solid, that is objective. It's a foundation, something we can stand on. So do you, are you guys with me so far? I know that's, I know, I mean, I've had to wrestle with that all week. I know I'm dropping it on you right now, all right? But the author of Hebrews, you see, he likely knows what this word in Greek can mean. He's already used it in a couple of different ways. And now he helps us to see that, yes, faith is the real substance of things hoped for in the future, and it produces in us an assurance in the present. Or if you're taking notes, let this be point number two for you. In other words, true faith is a foothold for the future that produces assurance in the present. All right? True faith is a foothold for the future that produces assurance in the present. So Joel, Joel, our two-year-old, has recently started climbing our little rock wall in our backyard uh, up on our playset. Okay? And as he's first learning, um, you know, you never know if he's actually going to make it up the the entire way. So you're kind of sitting back waiting for him to yell for help as he's just kind of stuck on the wall, not knowing what to do next. now, Joel usually doesn't have a problem with, with the handholds, right? Like he's, he's grabbing, he can see where he's grabbing, and he's, he's moving his hands up the wall. But where he struggles is finding the right footing. And, and so you can see him going up, but then you can see his foot. He's like searching for something to put his foot on, right? He's searching for that foothold. And I know if he can't find the foothold, eventually he's going to yell for help because he's not making it to the top. And yet I know when he actually finds the foothold, he's going to make it to the top, no problem. Faith is our foothold for the future that produces assurance in the present It's an assurance knowing we're going to make it to the top. And if you don't have faith in the present, you don't have a foothold. Consider another illustration that I think this might be helpful. Because this word assurance or substance or foothold or whatever you want to call it, it was also used in legal circles for a title deed to a property. For example, let's say I, ha- I ask you to be my representative to go down to Florida and to buy a retirement house for me on my behalf. Now, let's say I trusted you to go and to check out some houses on your own, to send me some pictures, and then to go through the closing, purchase the house and all of that on my behalf, and then you came back and gave me the deed to this property. If you gave me the deed to the property, I would now all of a sudden have something of substance to hold on to that would give me assurance 
that I would have a retirement home for the future. Now, I obviously can't go there now. I believe there is an age limit to living in Florida. I think that's what happened to the shepherds. They were too young. They said, you guys got to get out of here. Come back in 50 years, all right? So they're with us for a little while. But you see, if I had the deed to the property, I mean, I would have some assurance. I would have some joy. I would have some excitement for my future. I wouldn't just be like staying optimistic about things. I wouldn't just be thinking positively about my retirement. No, I would have the deed in my hand. But if you asked me if I had ever been to the property or if I had ever been to the house, I would say, no, I haven't. And if you then said, well, how can you be so certain about your future? How can you be so excited and joyful about your future? You've never even been there. I would say I am certain today about where I'm going tomorrow because my representative has gone before me to settle my accounts, to secure my future, and he has given me this deed in order to give me assurance today. And not only that, but that deed or that faith allows me to enjoy today what God has promised for tomorrow. So point number three, if you're, if you're making points, point number three, faith allows me to enjoy today what God has promised me tomorrow. I mean, I'm getting excited about this Florida property right now, and it's, this isn't even a real situation. But can you imagine if it was real? I mean, can you imagine the joy you would have shoveling snow in the middle of winter in Indiana? if you had the title deed to a property in Florida in your pocket. You see, church, our faith today is the deed of the things hoped for tomorrow. And our faith is not something we've written up ourselves it's not something we've just wished upon a star on or tried to manifest ourselves by positive thinking, you know, creating it into being. No, our faith is something that we have received from our representative. Our faith is a gift given to us because our representative has gone before us. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, he writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What, what, what is the gift of God according to Paul's letter to the Ephesians? It's, it's all that precedes that. It's, it's salvation by grace through faith. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Faith is a gift. Everything we have in life, we have to some way and degree or another received. I mean, what do you have that you did not receive? And you see the faith that we have in God that is according to knowledge, the trust and love of God, it is a gift from God to us to give us a foothold for the future. It is a title deed of the things hoped for tomorrow. It is God's gift to us today that allows us to grasp hold of and enjoy all that he has for us in the future. 
You see, church, we've got some things to hope for and look forward to in the future. But God is so good, he is not content to just allow it to be out there. Through faith, he allows us to grasp it and enjoy it right now. Here are some things we have to look forward to. I'm going to hit you with a few verses really quickly that will be up on the screen. Just some things I want you to start thinking through that we have hope for in the future. From 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, God's word says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Revelation 22, verse 5, And night will be no more. There will, there will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We are going to reign with Christ. We are going to be made like him. We're going to dwell with him. We're going to enjoy him forever. And our God is so good that, yes, he, he's not content to just give us some, some hopes for tomorrow, but he wants you to enjoy some of those today. And it is this glorious gift of faith that allows us to grasp hold of what is coming, to grasp hold of what is coming to us in the future and actually enjoy it today. We live in an already but not yet kingdom, right? We've been talking about these things. We've got things we're hoping for that have, that have not yet come true, but will when Christ returns. And yet already we can start to enjoy those things through the gift of faith. Faith is grasping hold of what is coming tomorrow and is enjoying it today. Faith is the foothold that assures us we reach the top. Faith is the title deed that guarantees our future. Faith helps us take hold of and enjoy now what God has for us tomorrow. And faith is what allows your future hope to be your present joy. Faith is what allows for your future hope to be your present joy. But not only that, And I'm not trying to sound like a salesman. I realize that came across like, but wait, there's more. Not only that, in this one verse of Hebrews 11, not only does faith help us grasp hold of and enjoy the hope that we have tomorrow, there's this future timeline element of it, but also this, faith also helps us grasp onto and enjoy the things we cannot see. Look back at verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The gift of faith helps us enjoy greater realities. Realities that, yes, are in the future, like we've just been talking about, but also realities that are unseen to our physical eyes. You see, we live in such a materialistic world and we oftentimes fall into belief that, that the only things that are real are the things that we can see and taste and touch and hear. 
But let me remind you, church, of some of the greater realities that we've already learned about throughout the book of Hebrews. For example, in Hebrews 1, verse 14, we heard that, that this, this verse, speaking of angels, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Us. You see, we forget that our God is called the Lord of hosts. And to be the Lord of hosts is not to be the Lord of the person that greets you and seats you at the restaurant although he is certainly Lord of them as well. But to be the Lord of hosts is to be the Lord of angelic armies. Angelic armies. For faith to be the conviction of things not seen means that faith has convinced you with proof that the things not seen exist. Faith is like this. Faith is like when the servant of Elisha's eyes are opened. You guys might be familiar with the story from 2 Kings, where the king of Syria sends a great army with horses, chariots to capture Elisha. They surround the city, and when Elisha's servant gets up in the morning and goes out and sees the army surrounding him, he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? A common question by humans when we are not living by faith. Alas, what shall we do? I've said it many times. When we don't have the faith to grasp hold of our hope secured for us in the future, when we don't have the faith to see the greater realities of the unseen realm all around us, this is what we do. We are distraught. We are confused. We are concerned. We are fearful. And we say, what shall we do? Alas, what shall we do? And in 2 Kings 6, verse 16, Elisha says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And recently, this has maybe been becoming one of my new favorite verses in the Bible. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha, what did he do? He prayed to the Lord, and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. You see, Elisha's servant thought they were outnumbered because he was not living in the reality of the things that were unseen. But faith is the conviction or the evidence that convinces us of things that are in the unseen realm. It is through the gift of faith that the Lord opens our eyes to see that those who are with us are more than those who are with the enemy. That our Lord is the Lord of hosts, and His numbers have not diminished. And therefore we are to live by faith, a faith that is evidence, a faith that is proof of the things not seen. 
And therefore, for our, our fourth point this morning, living by true faith means to live like you are never outnumbered. Living by true faith means to live like you are never outnumbered. Christians, you see, Christians get panicky. Christians start living foolishly. Christians start compromising. Christians start living cowardly and complacently when they falsely start to believe that they are outnumbered by the enemy. And we just start freaking out. Like Elisha's servant, saying, Alas, what shall we do? What shall we do? Church, to live by faith, the question, what shall we do, should not be the first question that comes to you. That can't be the first. If we are going to be a people living by faith, the first question is not, what shall we do? The first question is, what has Christ already done? Not, what shall we do? What has Christ already done? He came to earth. He lived the life of perfect obedience that we failed to live. He died the death on a cross that we deserve to die. He paid the penalty for our sin. He released us from the power of sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. He then ascended into heaven, purifying the heavenly places, giving us access back into the presence of God, back into the throne room. And he promises that one day we will reign with him. And right now, he sends us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He sends us his angels to minister to us us. And so if we are living by faith, the question, what shall we do? We can consider it, but it has to be considered in light of the unseen realities of what Christ has already done. Well, you might say, yeah, but I can't see any of those things that you just described, that Christ has done, seated in the heavenlies, all that stuff. I can't see that. What proof do you have to convince me? Maybe that's the question. What evidence do you have by which I respond, my faith? According to Hebrews 11, my faith is evidence of these things that are unseen. For how could my heart give glory to Christ if not for the Spirit awakening it to life? My faith is evidence of these things that are unseen. Your faith is evidence of these things unseen. I mean, I know a lot of you. And I'm telling you, your faith is evidence. There are things outside of yourself that have come in and empowered you and changed you and transformed you. The faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah that we'll see next week are evidence of things unseen. The faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah are evidence of the things unseen. The faith of Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel are evidence of the things unseen. The faith of Augustine and Luther and Calvin the faith of Spurgeon, Whitfield, pa Packer, and Sproul they are evidence of things unseen. The faith of Gary and Sharon are evidence of things unseen. Oh, you see, to live by faith is to never live like you are outnumbered. And your faith and my faith are convincing proofs to one another of the things that are unseen. And when you have this kind of faith that is convinced of the things unseen, 
will you not have a stronger desire to pray? Isn't that what we see with Elisha? When the Syrians came down against him, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Now, we oftentimes don't pray because of two things. One, because of our pride. We just don't think we need to pray. Don't think we necessarily need it. Or because of our weak faith. When it's because of our pride, right, we're not really convinced that we need God's help. We're not really convinced that we are utterly dependent upon every breath from that he gives us to, to live and to be sustained. Or we don't pray because our faith is weak. We're not convinced that actually God is there or that he hears us or that he answers us or that he responds or that there's, there's angels and the Holy Spirit and all these things that are unseen. We've got a weak faith, not really sure if those things are there. But church, God has been doing some extraordinary things in our midst in these last few months. And ever since we started gathering as a church, we've had a growing desire to seek after the Lord in prayer. Uh, this first started you know, where we really wanted to, to cultivate our, our, our love for prayer uh, when we d designated you know, one night or one, uh, one night a, a month with our city groups, we're just going to be devoted to prayer. Nothing else. We didn't want running out of time for prayer or anything like that. We wanted one night where it was all going to be about prayer. And Sunday morning, we've slowly but surely started to incorporate more prayer into our gatherings. We gather every Sunday morning at 9.45 where all the people that are coming to serve that week, they gather and we pray. We pray for our gathering. That's really when, when these gatherings start. At 9.45 to pray, everyone's always invited to be here. This January, we started committing every Tuesday morning from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. to be here at the building and to just be praying. And since this January, we've had some specific prayer requests. And this is what we asked uh, LifePoint, one of our partner churches, to be praying for us as well. This is what I shared with them in February when I went there and preached. I have the bulletin to prove uh, because usually you tuck the bulletin in your Bible and since we don't have bulletins here, this is the only bulletin I've gotten this year, so I still have room in my Bible for it. But I was reminded of what we had asked them to pray for and what we have been praying for ourselves uh, uh, throughout this year, 2021. We've been asking the Lord to give humility to the leaders of our church. Well, that's, that's sometimes a hard prayer to pray because you know then the Lord's going to have to humble you when you pray for that. <laughs> We ask the Lord to give humility to the leaders of our church, unity amongst our people, and for God to send the people and resources we would need for the work he's calling us to. We've been praying that God would continue to provide for us a place to gather on Sunday mornings. And church, he's answering these prayers. He's humbling our leaders. He's uniting our people. He's providing the resources and people we need for the work ahead. We have by faith gone to God in prayer. And, and all throughout maybe your life and my life, right, we have gone to God by faith and prayer. And he has time and time again convinced me with proof of things that we cannot see. Church, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Do you have that kind of faith in God? 
Not just a faith that kind of you know some things about him, but you actually know him in a way where you love him and trust him. And what we'll see next week in verse 6 is that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Listen, if you don't have this kind of faith, seek him. Seek him and you will find him. If you don't have this kind of faith, nothing you do will please him. It's impossible without faith to please him. Are you living by faith? Are you grasping your future hope and enjoying it in the present? Are you living by faith? Is your faith and my faith convincing you and one another more and more of the things unseen? Of the power of the Holy Spirit? of the angels that are ministering to us, of the power of prayer. I think many of us are being more and more convinced of the things that are unseen. God is strengthening and growing our faith. This is the faith that perseveres. And so may you ask God for it if you don't have it. You can ask Him for it today. He's a good and generous Father, loves to give good gifts to His kids. Ask for this faith. And if you have it, ask God to strengthen it. Strengthen your faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'll close with this. And uh, Joshua and Isaac, you guys can go ahead and come on back up. The, uh, the African Impala, not the Chevy Impala, all right? But the animal, it's a medium-sized antelope, I learned, uh, found in eastern and southern Africa. But consider the impala this morning, because this animal has amazing abilities. An impala can jump to a height of 10 feet in the air. I mean, that's hops. An impala can jump 30 feet in distance in one bound. And an impala can run in a zigzag fashion up to 50 miles per hour. Which that's, that's amazing. That's like, those are like superpowers. But what's interesting is that if you put them in a zoo, if you domesticate them, they will stay in an enclosure with a three-foot-high wall. Now do the math in your head. It's not going to be difficult math, all right? But if you know they can jump 10 feet in the air and they're staying in a, behind a wall that's three feet tall, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Like why are they not just jumping over the wall? But you see, impalas won't jump if they can't see where their feet will land. They won't do it. Not if they can't see it. And so if you block their view... From the other side of the wall, they are not jumping. If they can't see it, they won't jump. Therefore, a little three-foot wall domesticates them, keeps them from doing all that God has empowered them to do. Is this not a picture of many church-going people in America? Great potential Great abilities and resources and gifts. People gifted naturally and spiritually with gifts from God. However, they are living safe, domesticated lives behind a three-foot wall, unwilling to jump 
because their faith is either so small or it's non-existent, they can't see where their feet will land. And some of you this morning in your life, you have encountered a three-foot wall. Right now, you've got something that is in front of you, and you are freaking out about a three-foot wall and saying, alas, what shall we do? But church, may God give us faith, and may God strengthen our faith to see that Christ has gone before us, And where he landed, we will land as well. In fact, if faith is our foothold for the future, then in Christ, we've already got one foot on the other side of the wall. We have our foothold. We have a solid ground to stand upon. In Christ, one foot is already over. By faith, just bring that other foot along. And may God give us faith And may he strengthen our faith for the work that we have ahead. May we have a faith that, number one, perseveres and that is according to knowledge. May we have a faith, number two, that will be a foothold for the future that produces assurance in the present. And may our faith allow us to enjoy today what God has promised us tomorrow. And may our faith empower us to live with conviction of things not seen. Let's pray.